0: If I asked you right now to tell me what our cities, our states, what our country needs most, I want you just to think, how would you answer that question? What do our cities, our states, our country, what do we need most right now? Would you say racial harmony? Would you say justice or peace? Would you say a cure to coronavirus? Some vaccine? Would you say financial or economic stability? There are lots of massive problems in our world today. And it's not my goal today to talk about them, honestly. These are real issues. But our deepest problem is a worship problem. I want you to hear me because this is this is deep and um, you may not believe what I just said. We are all made to worship. Every one of us is made to worship. And believe it or not, all of us are worshipers. So let me just define worship for a moment. To, to worship is to ascribe worth. And you ascribe worth with devotion of your time. You ascribe worth with the, uh, the, the devotion of your, your money, your stuff, your treasure. You ascribe worth with the, the giving of your talents. That's, this is the, these are the ways that we say that thing is worth something. We're all made to worship. But what we have a tendency to do is settle for worshiping the created and not the creator. We have a tendency to look at the beautiful, wonderful things that God has given. And rather than take the gift and turn our affection to the giver, we celebrate and treasure the gift above all. What I would suggest to you is that all of our issues boil down to the deepest root of a worship problem. So even when I look at racial issues of our day and I'm grieved by them, like broken hearted that we're still having these conversations and we're still having to say all people matter. Right. Can, Can we just Church, can we just say amen to that statement? All people matter. Every human being on the planet matters. But here's the question. Why? Why do people matter? And I'll tell you why. It's because every human being is created in the image of God. And because the image of God matters, people matter. No matter the color of somebody's skin, no matter how much money they have, no matter what they've done, people matter because God matters. This is why the racism issue that we have in our world today, when you turn on the news right now, so you see the racism issue that we have today is not just a skin problem. It's a sin problem. And it's not just that whether or not this person or that person has worth, it's does he have ultimate worth? And if he has ultimate worth, then of course they have worth. Our deepest issues Our worship issues. I want you to hear it how Jesus would say it. When he was asked, what's the greatest commandment? Jesus said what? Love who? Come on, you know. Love who? Love God with all your heart. With all your mind. With all your soul. With all your strength. And he said, and the second greatest commandment is like it. It's like it. What is it? Love your Neighbor as yourself. So here's the thing. Love of neighbor comes out of a love for God. Right worship means good, healthy, loving relationships with fellow men. Right? Worship first. Vertical first. Horizontal second. I mean, the Ten Commandments are, are put to us in that sequence. You know, the first half of the Ten Commandments are about worship. You shall have no other gods before me. Don't take my name in vain. No idols. Worship, 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 right? And then the last half is how to treat your brother. And here's the thing. God knows that if we don't get this right, we're doomed here. If we don't treasure God above all and love God above all, we're never going to love our brothers and our neighbors. We're just not. 1 John says it this way. If any man says he loves God and hates his brother, he's a what? Liar. Liar. He's a liar. So here's what I want to say about this. Every human, every person is made in God's image. Every human has value because God has infinite value. So I love God with all my heart. Because I love God with all my heart, I hate racism. I hate senseless death, I hate injustice. I hate that people live in bondage to fear. I hate all of these things. Why? Because I love God." Psalm 97:10 this is a good one to memorize. The psalmist writes, and he says, "You who love the Lord hate evil." And here's what we learn is that when we love God, when our worship is right, we actually love what he loves and we hate what he hates. You who love the Lord hate evil. So to say it another way, we don't just have a racism problem. We actually have a worship problem not just about race today. I'm, I'm, I really didn't intend to say all those things. So talking about materialism, maybe materialism is your issue. So um, maybe that's your sin struggle. You just can't be satisfied with the stuff that you have. It's always about getting that. And then once you have that, it's about that and And then that's not enough. And so satisfaction is always somehow out of reach. And I would tell you, you don't have a materialism problem. You have a worship problem. You're not satisfied in God. Maybe your battlefield is lust. And I would tell you that it's not images on a screen or... Bodies or whatever it is that has got your attention. The the fact is that God doesn't have your attention. It's not a lust problem so much as it's a worship problem. Lust is a branch off of a deeper root. Rebellion, disobedience. Again, worship at the root. So as we open our Bibles today to Acts chapter 2, what I want us to see... Is this early church, the church that is born at Pentecost when the Spirit of God comes, is a church filled with worshipers. They're people in awe of God. Last time when we dug into um, this passage in Acts 2, we saw that this newly born church, they shared a common affection and a common allegiance. That's what we talked about last time together. So they they loved one another so beautifully as a community of faith because of their shared love for the Lord and the Savior, the King and the Redeemer, Jesus Christ. And I want to remind you, this group, this church, this 3000 plus group of people is a very diverse group. They're from all over the place. All different kinds of ethnicities and cultures and languages. And they've come together under one king. His name is Jesus. They're unified by the mercy of God. That's what we saw last time in 1 Peter 2, verse 10. 1 Peter two ten. Here's what it says. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. And what we saw last time is that these people have come together and what they have in common is they have a merciful God who's been slow to anger and he's given them mercy in Jesus. So what we notice is that the love of neighbor comes out of a love for God. Even Jesus frames it that way when he talks about the commandments. So today, what I want to do is focus our attention on this first Christian church. I want us to see them as a people of worship and prayer. So we're just going to talk about those two things this morning. First thing, uh, if you have the, the teaching outline, the first thing is this kingdom people worship. Kingdom people worship. Super simple today. Kingdom people worship. What I don't want you to hear is that kingdom people sing or that kingdom people attend a church service. Those those things might be wrapped up in worship, but that's not what we're saying. What I'm saying is that kingdom people have an awe for God. Look with me, if you will, at the scriptures and... Acts chapter 2, and as is our custom to honor the Lord and His Word, would you stand as we read from Acts 2? Those of you joining us online, please stand if you're able. If you're in your car right now, please don't stand. (laughs) That would cause a lot of problems. Um, But if you're able to stand in honor of God's Word, please do that. Thank you in the room. It's so good to see you guys. Man, I just love being together something powerful about it. Yeah. Let's read Acts 2, 42 through 47. This is our passage of focus. The Bible says this, And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and prayer. Verse 43. And awe came upon every soul. and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number, day by day, those who were being saved. Lord Jesus, this is your word. It's the truth about the early church. Help us to be learners today, to grow, to be worshipers, people of worship and people of prayer. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So verse 43 says, and awe came upon every soul. Awe, A-W-E. It's not a word that we use very often. You, don't, you probably don't talk about it unless you say, well, that's awesome. Well, that's, that might be something you would say. But we don't use just the word awe very often. It's not common to our vernacular. But I want you to tell, what, tell you what it means. Um, the word awe in the Bible is actually the word phobos in Greek, which is where we get our word for phobia. So um, you might know what a phobia is. If, if somebody told me last time they were afraid I was going to fall off the edge, I don't remember who that was. I got a little close to the edge and I guess they had a fear of heights or four feet or so <laughs> that I was going to fall. But phobia, like lots of people have fears of heights or fears of spiders or fears of – there's all kinds of weird fears. That's not necessarily the con. Context Of the word all phobia in the Bible Not that it doesn't mean fear It absolutely does mean fear But I want you to get it in its context It's a fear in the sense that People have seen something That and experienced something That's out of this world And there's this gut level interaction with it So just like Um When you've been scared, the impulse in you, uh, something happens that you are totally out of control. Um, I I have three little girls, and I love to hide behind the, the corner of the door. As they're coming down the hallway, I'll just hide right there. And as they poke around the corner, I'll just go, ah! And they scream! And then we smile and laugh and But that scream is just something that comes. It's not something they controlled. It's not something that they thought about or premeditated to do. It's just something that just happens. And here's what I want you to know. The word, and awe, came upon every soul. I want you to see it right through the text. This is not something that they conjured up. It's something that came upon them. It's a, you're a passive recipient of awe. It just happens to you when you experience something you can't understand that just blows your mind. It's awe. That's what's going on with these people. They're in awe. I want to show you another place in the scriptures that this happens just so you'll get a picture of it. So go with me, if you will, to Luke chapter 7. The very same word is used by the very same author. Um, Luke chapter 7 Luke tells a story, and I want us to see what happens in this story. Luke 7, verse 11. I'm just going to read a handful of verses, but I want you to hold on to the word when we get to it. Verse 11. Soon afterward, he went to a town called Nain, and his disciples and a great crowd went with him. And as he drew near to the gate of the town, behold, a man who had died was being carried out the only son of his mother. And she was a widow and a considerable crowd from the town was with her. And when the Lord, that's Jesus, when Jesus saw her, he had compassion on her and said to her, do not weep. I love the heart of our savior. Then he came up and touched the beer and the bearers stood still and he said, Jesus said, Young man, I say to you, arise. Now you getting the imagery? Just for a second now. Let's let's hold on. This is a funeral. They're carrying a dead man's body. He's dead. Somebody say, dead. He's dead. Jesus comes up on this. This is the only son to a woman who's lost her husband also. She's all alone. She's a widow. Jesus has compassion. He walks up onto this funeral where a dead man is. And he speaks to the dead man. He says, young man, I say to you, arise. And the dead man sat up and began to speak. And Jesus gave him to his mother. The very next word, what is it? Fear. You know what it is in Greek? Phobos, awe, fear, seize them all, and they glorify God. Here's what I want you to see. This awe, back in Acts chapter 2, isn't a fear like, oh my gosh, I'm so afraid, I can't believe it. It's not that kind of fear It's being gripped with something totally out of your control that God is doing, and you just know, you see it, you experience it, and you go, This is God. Those people gathered around for that funeral, watched a a dead man sit up and talk. They're not afraid in the sense of harm is gonna come on them. They're, uh, They're fearful, they're they're in awe of the greatness of this moment. And awe leads to glorifying God. And in Acts chapter 2 verse 43 we read, Awe came upon every soul. What I want you to know is almost every commentary I read about this passage, the, the, almost every commentary links awe with the next phrase. And it's not that the next phrase isn't linked. I just don't think it's the cause. I don't think it's the cause. But the the next phrase in in the passage, all came upon every soul. The next phrase is, and many wonders and signs were being done by the apostles. And certainly, definitely, people are in awe of the wonders and signs. No, No doubt about it. But I don't think that's the cause. The reason these people are in awe is because of the same reason the dead boy from Nain caused awe. It's because they've experienced death to life. They've gone from being dead in their sins to life in Jesus Christ. And they're in awe of the community of faith. This gathering of people that has been born out of the gospel of Jesus Christ. They're in awe of what God is doing. They've just heard an incredible sermon from Peter. Who exposed the glory of. Of God and the guilt of men. They've just seen a high and a holy God. And their small and sinful selves. They've seen those things. And they've, they've seen the, the main problem that comes out of that. Is that they're in trouble. You go back up in the passage in Acts 2. And you, you see they respond to Peter's sermon. What must we do? There's desperation in their heart because they know there's a problem. They feel the weight of their sin and they know this God and his judgment on sin. What must we do? Peter's message is full of hope. He says, repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus and the Holy Spirit will come on you. These people have just experienced all of that. They've gone from dead in their sin to life in Jesus Christ. They've experienced the mercy of God in that they can be forgiven of sin. And the grace of God in that they've received the Holy Spirit and now a new family. These people are in awe of what God has done in death to life. And what I suggest to you is, that's the biggest need of our world today. The biggest need of our world today is to experience Jesus and the power of the gospel to change people from death to life. I'll tell you some things about awe. Awe is authentic. Awe is authentic. There's no fake in it. It came upon every soul. This wasn't something they conjured up or decided, Ah, hey, you know what? I think, we'll, I think we'll choose worship right now. No, awe came upon them. They're passive recipients of this power. And awe is authentic. It's not fabricated or faked. Is your worship Real? I don't say that to heap any kind of guilt on you. I want, to, I want you just to check your heart. Are you in awe of God? Is it authentic? Awe is authentic. Awe is within. Here's what I mean. It's, it's, it's internal. This is not... It's not something you do. Um, one of the things Jesus did in John chapter 4 with the, the conversation with the woman at the well... Um, he, he had this great conversation, dialogue going with her about living water. And uh, and she she tries to sort of divert. You know, she she says, well, um, my people, the, the Samaritans, we worship on this mountain. But your people, you worship on that mountain. And Jesus says, in essence, he says, it's not about where it's about your heart. There's coming a day where it's neither on this mountain or that mountain. The father is seeking True worshipers who will worship him in spirit and in truth. So here's what Jesus is telling us. God cares about your heart. Not what you do. Not where you do it. It's not not about this place. And it's not about whether or not you lift hands or bow a knee. In fact, I don't know. This is just a little bit of word study. Some of you may be interested in this, but the Old Testament, the most popularly used word in the Old Testament for worship is, is uh, to use the Greek word, is the word proskuneo. That word means to bow the knee. And the imagery is to bow before your king. The word is used in the Old Testament hundreds of times. It's the most popular word used for worship in the Old Testament. In the New Testament, that word is used pretty frequently in the Gospels and a little bit in Revelation. And I want you to know why. In the Gospels, the King was with us. He was with us. And so to worship the king, it was right. In Luke 7, when the woman came and she got at his feet and she washed his feet in Simon's house, he wouldn't dare bow the knee, but she did. She got on her knees in proskuneo worship because the king was there. He's there. And in Revelation, all gathered around the throne, the people of God, proskuneo for the king. But do you know, through the rest of the New Testament. That's not the word for worship. It's not the word bow the knee. And it's not that we shouldn't bow the knee. The other words that are used. Are not about posture. They're not about what you do. With your body. They're, they're all about what you do in your heart.
1: Paul says it this way.
0: In view of God's mercy. Therefore brothers. Present your bodies as living sacrifices. Holy and acceptable to God. Which is your reasonable act of worship it's about the heart it's about your heart all is within all is lastly expressive all is expressive i just want to say that when you're in awe of god when you're in awe of something your your body your voice um, Tends to act before you have the power to control it. Right. Just like when I scare my children, they just they just scream. You know, something happens and um, it's expressive. All these words, you know, for worship, they all have something to do with how we show honor, how we show and demonstrate love and worship and affection. I love the the picture in Luke seven, verse 47 uh, of that woman at the feet of Jesus, and Jesus commended her for for what she did, and Jesus said um, that she loves much because she's been forgiven much. You see, she knew, and in, in, it's, in, it's in verse forty-seven. Sarah, if you want to put that on the screen. Jesus said, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven. For she loved much, but he who is forgiven little loves little. Here's the point Jesus is making. He's he's making a comparison in her worship, her expressive worship, and Simon's very passive. Well, you know, I think I'm, I'm good enough to have dinner with Jesus. Jesus is comparing and contrasting them. And he's saying, if you were in awe of me like she is, you would just be laying it all out there too. And she's doing that because she's been forgiven much. She knows the weight of her sin. And so she knows the beauty of her Savior. Awe is expressive. I'm going to have to move quickly. Worship is treasuring God as supreme. It's ascribing worth. Psalm Psalm 29, the psalmist says it this way. Ascribe to the Lord the glory do His name. Worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. Ascribe to the Lord the glory do His name. Worship is treasuring God as supreme. Worship is being satisfied in God. Psalm 27, the psalmist writes and uh, He's in a terrible situation. He's in a lot of trouble. I won't get into the detail, but in verse four, David writes and he says, one thing have I asked of the Lord and that will I seek. One thing, he says. That I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. One thing I ask is what the psalmist says. Um, uh, John Piper, a great theologian of our day. Here's a quote he said that transformed my life years ago. Here's what he said. God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. Listen to that. God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. When your heart treasures God and is satisfied in Him, God is glorified in that. Back in Acts chapter 2, this section ends with a description of the church. And it just says they were praising God and having favor with all the people. And I just want to say about that, praise is worship gone public. Praise is when what's in you, the all that's in you just goes public. It's no longer private. I just can't help but talk about how good my God is. Praise is public. It's the declaration of a heart in love with God. Praise is how worship evangelizes. Listen to that statement. Praise is how worship, the way we've described it now, treasuring and satisfied in God Praise is how true worship evangelizes because it tells the world, I have all I need in Jesus. He's so good. He's so good. Praise is what makes worship contagious. So kingdom people worship. Secondly, and I want us to finish here. Kingdom people pray. Kingdom people pray. The one time that we have recorded in scripture where Jesus used a little show of force. It was about prayer. I don't know if you've noticed the detail, but in John's gospel, he tells us that Jesus saw what was going on in his temple and in the temple courts and all the 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 profiteering and selling and buying of sacrifices and all that kind of stuff that's going on. And he just sat and made a whip. He, he wove a whip. I mean, just think about the time that took. It's, it's, Jesus, he, he didn't just react impulsively with anger. No, he like braided a whip. This wasn't impulsive. It was intentional. But Jesus went into the temple, flipped some tables, cracked the whip, literally. Why? Why? We want to say it was about profit and and selling and whatnot. And that's not the point. Here's the point. Jesus finished by saying this. My house shall be a house of prayer for all nations. Now you've perverted it. I'm bringing it back to what it's for. My house shall be a house of prayer for all nations. And what we see with this early church is that they devoted themselves to prayer They prayed and you could go through and read in almost every chapter prayer is mentioned. The the early church prays and then God acts. They pray and then God acts. They pray and God moves. Almost every chapter. I'm going to give you a quick run through. In chapter one, they pray for guidance about a big decision. In chapter two and three, they pray. In chapter four, they pray for courage to witness. I love this spot. And uh, when we get to chapter four, I can't wait to preach on this passage because this is the first recorded prayer. I encourage you to look at it. Acts four twenty three through 31 It's the first recorded prayer of the early church. But they pray for courage to witness. And in, in Acts 7, they, they pray. Stephen prays while being stoned. They pray while being persecuted in Acts 9. They pray for God to do miracles Um, Peter prays that God would work through him to do something miraculous. In Acts chapter 10, they pray for salvation and Cornelius and his household come to faith in Christ. And the gospel goes to the Gentiles, to the nations. In Acts chapter 12, they pray for deliverance. Peter, who's in jail, is set free and delivered. They can't believe it. They're shocked. God answered their prayers. In Acts 13, they pray to send out missionaries. And Paul and Barnabas are commissioned and sent out. And the gospel spreads throughout the world. We could keep going, keep going. But what we see about this early church is that they're a church of Prayer. When you pray, God acts. Church, are are we a praying church? Are you a praying person? We are so frustrated that we don't have what we want. And yet we neglect the very thing that God prescribed for us to do. To get it. In James chapter 4, James says, You have not, because you what? Ask. ask not. That's very clear. James 4, verse 2 and 3. And then he goes on to say, You ask and don't receive because you ask to use it on your own passions. So I want to give you two quick teachings that come from that. Here's the first one: Ask. That means pray. Let's get on our knees, church. When you turn on the news and you see the brokenness, don't tweet about it. Pray about it. When you see sin and hatred and violence and all the terrible things we're looking at, don't post about it. Pray about it. You have not, James says, because you ask not. So ask. And then secondly... He says, you you ask and don't receive because you just wanted to spend it on your own passions. It's about you, he says. Let's pray like this early church prayed. Let's pray like Jesus taught us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed, be your name. Your kingdom come. Come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Let's pray the kingdom come. Let's pray God do what God wants to do. Let's pray his word and pray his will. Two takeaways from our passage today. The first one is this. Let the gospel of Jesus. Let the person of Jesus awaken in you a heart of worship. Church, where is the awe that God inspires in us? Do people want what you have in Jesus? And I'm not telling you to fake it. I'm telling you, get on your knees and get with him until it's real. Don't fake it. Let's let the beauty and the power of the gospel resonate so deeply in our heart that awe comes upon our souls. And secondly, let's pray. Let's pray like we believe we have a God who has the power to do it. Let's pray the will of God according to the word of God. And let's trust him with it. Church, my desire this morning is that we actually finish our time together that way. So here's what I want to encourage you to do. Our worship team is coming. And I want us to be in awe of God. And let's be on our knees before him. Let's plead and pray to our God for his will to be done. Let's let our love for God show itself in love for our neighbors. Let's be in awe of Him. Let's bow our knees before Him in worship and in prayer. So here's what I've done specifically for this morning. I brought out some rugs to pad your knees. okay? And over there, that one's really soft. And you say, well, I don't have to come. Well, you don't have to, but I'm asking you to. I want you to Move. And if you don't, it's okay. But where you're at, or whether you're there or here, be in awe of God. And let's get on our knees and pray to the one who can do all that we want to see done. So let's just finish our day together honoring what Jesus said. My house should be a house of prayer. I want to encourage you to sing if you'd like to pray. Our nation is broken. What we need most is awe of God. We need to pray. Let's be the church to be the difference.